to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and... You know, it's been kind of a topsy-turvy couple of weeks in the market. Ultimately, though, although the pandemic and its economic impacts are far from over, there are signs that consumer confidence and jobs are starting to come back and starting to lift and come to life. Despite protests and violence across the country, markets have largely risen. Now, markets were, you know, back to all-time highs earlier this week and then, uh, not all-time highs, excuse me. They were back where they were at the end of the year, last year, at the end of 2019, uh, still down from the highs in February. But then, of course, we had a topsy-turvy day with Thursday, and the market ultimately was down this week. Uh, but markets are generally up quite a bit since the downturn in March, and Washington is trying to help Americans by building on the Paycheck Protection Program for small business owners and are now covering telehealth under Medicare. The New York Federal Reserve's May report shows an increase in consumer confidence. Businesses across the country are starting to reopen and rehire. Consumers were reportedly more optimistic about the job market and earnings growth, ending what has been a three-month decline in consumer confidence. And consumer confidence is a very important indicator of the markets. Consumers also might be worried, however, about inflation coming in the next year or two, but the Federal Reserve has expressed confidence that inflation will remain low. We will see. Life is unpredictable, as we all know, and there are a number of events that can impact our finances from global pandemics to personal crises. And while adjustments do sometimes need to be made to get back on track, you shouldn't let outside forces derail you from planning for retirement. You know, <laughs> short-term short-term events should not be having a dramatic effect on how you approach your retirement security. So we're going to get into some of that stuff today and look at what you really need to kind of take stock of what you have and what you're going to need. I think the most important thing is you need to have a plan that includes retirement income, security of retirement income, tax minimization, big part of retirement planning, optimizing your social security strategy, estate planning, investment analysis, and more. So today, we're going to get into several things. We're going to talk about how to avoid bad retirement decisions, what the long-term cost of this stimulus spending could end up being that we're seeing the government spend and the actions that the Federal Reserve is taking. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we'll talk about um, 
how Medicare now covers telehealth services under a directive from President Trump. But first, let's discuss the increase in consumer confidence and dive into that a bit. Um, you know, according to the, the New York Fed found that consumers grew more optimistic about the labor market and earnings growth, job findings, and even job loss. And so, you know, that consumer confidence you know, is one thing that that kind of manifests itself in the rising stock market. Uh, the Fed also found signs, however, of higher inflation in the next year or so. So, you know, the, while unemployment is still very high, the stock market has largely looked past all of this. The New York Fed said that consumers' view of their personal finances remained, and the quote is, depressed in May, according to the Wall Street Journal, but that there was improvement in May, but it's still somewhat depressed. And, you know, you have to realize we're probably looking at what will end up being 20 to 25 percent economic contraction, maybe even 30 percent economic contraction from the coronavirus. We're still waiting for all of those numbers. Uh, almost half of American surveyed said that credit is harder to get, harder to borrow money. Um, however, the median expectation of household income so what households think they're going to make next year, it, it, it increased for the first time in three months. The consumers actually believe they're making more income next year. You know, businesses are starting to reopen across the country, not just here in East Tennessee. Employment, so employment is starting to improve. That was one of the reasons we saw the big uptick in the market last week. New York data shows, uh, the, the Fed data shows a significant decline in expectations that employment will be higher a year from excuse me, that unemployment will be higher from a year from now. So again, people generally believe things are getting better, and we're still we're starting to come out of this uh, dramatic economic downturn caused by the pandemic. Um, now, inflation projections did jump for next year from about two and a half percent up to about three percent. Inflation projections long-term, though, remain more right around 2.5%. I don't know. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen 2.5% in quite some time. I mean, since before the Great Recession of 2008-2009, we, uh, we have not seen inflation up at 2.5%. But with all this stimulus spending and the, all the quantitative easing, all the money that's being printed by the Federal Reserve, there are most certainly worries about inflation down the pike, and we're going to get into some of those things today. <clears throat> and one of the problems with retirement is, you know, the different measures that are looked at when they look at inflation, you know, it's, it's a variety of things and doesn't necessarily look at just the sharp increases in food prices and energy prices. So, you know, if you look at what affects retirement consumers – versus what affects pre-retiree consumers, it, it, it often can be somewhat distorted when we look at the inflation rate. So it's definitely something we need to be aware of. Bottom line, where do we see things headed? And how can you take advantage of opportunities? And how can you reassess your investment plan? So let's just get into a few of those things. Uh, first off, where might the market be headed in the next few months? in the economic recovery. Um, first off, I'm going to qualify this. Nobody has a crystal ball. And what I have found is 
the shorter term the forecast, the more it's just a guess, the more it's a crapshoot. All right. And that's one of the problems with planning and worrying about short term results is we just don't know. Markets do funny things. You know, nobody saw the pandemic coming. When I woke up on January 1st, I'll be honest, it wasn't in my stream of consciousness that we might have a global pandemic this year. Now, likewise, you know, in, in late March, I don't know anybody that called for the stock market. And it's not all the way back, but to come back as quickly as it has. So in the short term, we just have no idea. Now, if I look at on the stock market, now, if I look at the economics of it, you know, you're talking about coming back from maybe 20 to 30 percent economic contraction. So I think our economy definitely showing signs of life. And I think the economy is going to get better as we move along. Now, some of the you know, concern with the markets on Thursday is that, you know, is there going to be a second wave? Coronavirus numbers are up in many states across the country. And so there's a concern of more economic shutdown. Now, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said this week, we're not going to shut the economy down again. You know, we'll just have to see, but markets are concerned about that. But if I look at the economics of it, you know, I think the economics are going to slowly improve over time. Now, to get back to where we were in the fourth quarter of 2019, that may take a few years. But we're going to start working that way, but it's going to take time. Now, how the market reacts in the short term, we just have no idea. It's a guesswork. So how should you be reacting right now? I think now is a perfect opportunity that if you're in retirement or you're near retirement to assess your need for income, in the short term. And, you know, you've heard me talk on this show. I like to think about segmenting your money in two categories. Just think of them as buckets of money. One bucket I'll call a safe money bucket, and the other bucket I'm going to call a risk money bucket. Let's define the buckets. Safe money, the way I define that, ideally means you have a guaranteed return of principal. Now, then you've got to look at who's backing the guarantee, right? Risk money has no such assurances. So, you know, most people at or near retirement need a pretty good mix of both of these kinds of money because safe money provides for stability and certainty. Of course, the problem with safe money is, you you know, it doesn't make a lot of money. So it does have risk. It has inflation risk. Can it keep up with the cost of living? The best way to find inflation long-term is the risk money. The problem is in the short term, you lose a lot of money. Right now, though, is a great opportunity to reassess your income plan. We want to live on the safe money. I like to call safe money your live-on money because you want to live on security and guarantees in the short term. And then the risk money, we're going to leave alone for growth. So I like to call that your leave-on money. You're going to leave it alone where you know you don't have to, you know, if, you're, if you don't have to, you don't have to touch it for at least five years. So with the market large, it's not completely back to February, but it is back to where it was at the end of, well, now it was back to where it was at the end of 2019, and then Thursday it dipped back below that mark. But it is, you know, it's down single digits this year to date. So now's the time to really reassess that because think about it this way. Let's say the market, I don't know what it's going to do in the short term, but it's a gamble, 
right? So let's say in the next two or three months, we have another significant downturn, 20, 25%, or even more. Your income shouldn't depend on that. That money is set aside where you're going to leave it alone and you're not going to touch it. You know, you're not going to draw from it. You're not going to draw income when it is sharply down. And you're prepared to, to wait at least five years. Now, to me, an income plan in retirement would be even better to wait seven or eight years, to have live on money in that safe bucket for seven or eight years. But five is kind of a minimum. So now think about this. The money that's in the market, you're not worried about what it's worth in three months or even in a year. You're worried about what it's worth in five years. Well, I mean, you know what? I'm pretty confident this pandemic will be behind us in five years. Now, there might be other things coming up in five years. But within the next four or five years, I'm confident that the pandemic will be behind us. So, you know, you don't want to be depending on that stock market money in the short term. And then one of the problems, see, is we make we make short-term decisions, usually emotionally, when we have volatile markets, with monies that should be budgeted for the long term. If anything, when we have significant downturns, we should be looking for opportunities opportunities to buy things when they're down and that have good prospects long-term. You know, there are industries out there and stocks within those industries. There are funds, mutual funds out there that specifically have done a good job at identifying industry categories that are affected in the short term by the pandemic and the economic downturn, but that once they're in good financial fiscal health, and once the economy restarts, they're likely to pick up where they left off. So if you're looking out five or six or seven years, those provide opportunities. So we don't want to, you know, we don't want to make short-term emotional decisions, but we don't want to gamble, or excuse me, but we do want to take advantage of opportunities. Now, the only other thing I want to say on that is if you haven't, done this, you need to assess the risk in your portfolio. You know, how much, if the market were to go back down 30, 40%, what would you be likely to lose? We never know for sure, but measuring risk in a in a specific portfolio based on past data is actually a pretty good indicator of future risk. We know past returns is not a great indicator of future returns, but past risk is a pretty good indicator of future risk. So if you haven't done that, if you haven't assessed your risk in your plan and make sure that it's within the range of what you feel like you're comfortable with, you know, investing is very much about balancing risk and reward. Nobody wants to lose money, but we want to make money. But if you're, you know, if you lose too much in the short term, you could get emotional and make a poor short-term decision in a volatile market. So assess your risk tolerance. Protect income in the short term. These are the keys, some of the keys, to financial success in volatile markets. Now, when we come back, we're going to discuss how to avoid bad retirement decisions. And I've kind of hit all around it in this first segment. We're, we're specifically going to dive in to avoiding bad retirement decisions and make, make decisions based on logic and planning rather than emotions. So stay with us as you're listening to More Living right here on News Talk 98.7 WOK. Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are done 
Listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author, and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865 862 6800 or on the web at BroganFinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living. Jim Brogan. Thanks for listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI this morning. This is More Living. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. And today, in this segment, we're going to talk about how to avoid bad retirement decisions. You know, rather than focusing on things outside your control or going with your gut feelings, you can go through a process to look at data and determine needs and make wise decisions that can impact the quality of your life. And this can especially be true and important, increasingly important during periods of market volatility like we've seen in the last three months. So, you know, it's not helpful to spend too much time worrying about factors out of your control. So when retirement, when creating retirement plans, many people spend too much time thinking about the short-term market the future of Social Security, and tax rates. Now, I'm not saying that these things are not important. They are. But they're, 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 they, they tend to distract us in the short term. You know, intuition isn't always the best decision-making tool. You know, a psychologist in an article in Forbes magazine said that people tend to make decisions fast using intuition and emotions. And when they do that, they're not overly confident in those choices over time. Intuition is only a good tool if the decision maker has a lot of practice in that type of a decision and has immediate feedback as to whether that decision was good or bad. Well, when we look at markets, we we don't get often immediate feedback of good, wise, or bad decisions. Because, again, risk investments, at-risk investments, even a very, very diversified portfolio that is in stocks and has good bonds and has uh, alternative asset classes. That can give you more balance and diversification, uh, but but not be stuck in too many bonds where we have you know such a low interest rate environment. But even a diversified portfolio in the short term is going to have it's just going to be a crapshoot. Again, the shorter term the forecast of the stock market, the more it's just a gamble, the more it's just a guess. You don't get to practice retiring, and you might not know your outcome of decisions you make today for decades. So, it, you, you know, you should have a plan and a process based on reason and logic. You know, one of the things that I believe firmly, and we've always done at our office at Brogan Financial, is, you know, we make decisions based on, of course, you, the consumer. You know, the, it, it all starts with your needs and desires. The tools we use, though, to then meet those needs and goals, we use tools based on a tremendous amount of science and research that we're confident that over that things you need in the short term that, that 
you can't depend on the stock market are more protected and stable. And then your longer-term investments, you're not as affected by short-term events. And then we measure that risk and make sure the diversification and the the, the long-term balance of risk and reward is appropriate for you. Because again, that, 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 that helps uh, protect you from making a poor emotional decision when we're in the midst of chaos is you're not depending on those market investments in the short term and you've properly identified your risk tolerance and you're much, much more diversified than just being in the stock market. And then I'll probably add to that. You're not just diversifying with traditional U S bonds. You know, that's a, that's a very dangerous thing right now with such a low interest rate environment. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Just remember that bonds and interest rates move in an opposite direction. This is a, this is a tremendous risk, long-term risk for people that are retiring in today's world. Bonds and interest rates, traditional bonds and interest rates move in an opposite direction. So uh, if interest rates go up, bond values go down. Well, where are interest rates right now? They're historic lows for the last three plus months, over three months, almost four months, the 10 year treasury bill, the 10 year treasury with the U S government pays less than 1%. It's never happened in U S history. And we've been there for over three months now. So these are historically low interest rates. So they either have to stay low, in which case bonds aren't paying much or interest rates have to go up. And then bonds do even worse. So I'm not saying you shouldn't own any traditional bond exposure. I'm saying that traditional method for diversifying risk, while it may help you in a very short term, in the longer term, it could be disastrous. I I would actually say that having a heavy traditional bond portfolio, if you're looking to 10 years down the road, Let's say you're 55 and you're going to retire when you're 65. You're not going to touch any of your money. So it doesn't really matter what your money's next, worth next year. You're looking to 10 years from now. What are your risks to getting where you want to go in 10 years? I would say that the risk in the bond market is higher than the risk in the stock market given a 10-year investment horizon. Now, certainly in the short term, that's not true. Stocks are much more risky and volatile in the short term. But if I'm looking out to the long term, which is how you should be investing your risk investments, bonds are dangerous. There's a way to do it. You need some of those because they do help provide balance in a volatile market. You have to be very careful. But see, that's the thing. We can measure those things with science and research and take calculated decisions. And yeah, we don't know the future of the markets, but as I said earlier in the first segment, if you missed it, measuring risks in a given portfolio, any portfolio is a pretty good indicator of what future risks and rewards are going to be, especially the risk part. So we can measure that. So if you then have a well-researched and developed financial plan, and you understand how and why that plan has been developed. See, that's a big part of this in, in managing emotion and behavior is you understand why your plan has been crafted to meet your goals and you understand the risks 
it's been discussed. And yeah, you can always get things outside certain expectations, but you wouldn't get something probably. Anything can happen in the market, but you you know you probably aren't going to get something wildly outside your expectation. So you're less likely when you understand your plan and you understand the science behind it. I mean, I'm not trying to get too technical here. I know you don't want to know how the watch works on your wrist, but I do know that you want to know that I know how that watch works and that I can explain in simple terms how the watch works for you so you can be confident in that your watch is going to keep good time, right? So that's what it's all about. We don't want to be making short-term decisions with long-term goals. So we need to, you know, got to measure that, protect income in the short term, all of those things. And then experience is very important. You know, when I started Brogan Financial, I started Brogan Financial in 2001. So right into the teeth of a bear market, literally three months before 911. June 1 was my date that I started this company. So right into the teeth of a bear market. And then in 2007, we had another bear market. So I saw two bear markets in the first six years. And let me tell you, I mean, I understand the cause of this past bear market is very unusual. A global pandemic, hadn't seen one in really 100 years. You could, you know, you could argue about uh, polio, but really you have to go back to Spanish flu, probably really get a good comparison. But bear markets themselves happen, and they're always painful. I mean, you could argue that the fundamental nature of the bear market in 2008 and 2009 was potentially much more damaging than this one because it was, you know, it exposed real cracks in the foundation of our financial system. This is caused by an outside factor, healthcare. We don't have problems with our financial foundation. We didn't point into this. Okay. So, you know, I saw two bear markets in six years. So, you know, we've been through all this. We know that planning ahead of time and understanding the plan and protecting short-term income and having that risk investments invested for five, six, seven years from now where you're not making short-term decisions with longer-term money, we know how important that is. That way you can have security of short-term income and growth of long-term income. And if you understand the plan, you're less likely to make a poor emotional decision. So these are the kind of things you need to be going through. Uh, it is what we do at Brogan Financial. It's what your advisor should be doing. So you've got to go through a process and, and, and get to know your goals and really measure those things. All right. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the long-term costs of all this stimulus spending. What is the long-term ramification for our debt, our Social Security and Medicare programs, and inflation? So don't go away as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the
Chicago's weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And in this segment, we're going to talk about a little bit the long-term. What are the long-term costs of all this government stimulus spending we're seeing? The federal government will borrow a record $3 trillion just in the second quarter this year to combat the economic effects of the coronavirus. How could this amount of borrowing affect us in the future? You know, what are the effects of borrowing a record $3 trillion in one quarter? You know, while spending is necessary at this time, having such a high debt could make the recovery process more difficult. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about what happens in the next 6 to 12 months. I'm talking about what's the economic impact in three or four years? You know, a lot of debt in the short term can be fine, but maybe not in the long run. We're now up well over 100% of our GDP in terms of our federal debt, and that starts to get into a danger zone, I believe. Um, I'm not one of these that feels like if it's under 100, you know, if you're at 90% debt to GDP, I don't think necessarily that's a horrible thing. But when you start getting up above 100%, it can start getting dangerous. That's where Japan has been for a while. Of course, they've had stagflation, a stagnant economy for 30 years now, since the early 90s. You know, we've had high debt before a coronavirus, um, and, and unemployment was low. And the economy was very strong. We still had high debt. We were still right around 100%, which, again, I think that's okay, but you get way higher than that, and you got an issue. The economic boom had something to do with tax cuts. You know, definitely led to some economic growth, but our deficits have still gotten larger. So we've seen stimulus packages already, with the CARES Act being the number one stimulus act, and Congress is discussing more stimulus. And you know what? It might be necessary to keep us out of depression. Um, I think we're, you know, the, the, the acts of Congress maybe help keep us out of depression. But again, what are the longer-term impacts? Uh, Congress hasn't truly committed to uh, passing stimulus, but if they did, it would mean more debt. And states at the state level could have to lower revenue without another stimulus or a bailout. Then there's the financial state of Social Security. It's going to be broke. It's going to be insolvent within 10 to 15 years. And payroll taxes would, at that point, only cover about 76% of the benefits. So about three-fourths. We'd be 25% short. Medicare is an even bigger issue, funding Medicare. And lawmakers will likely have to look at taxes and cost of living increases in the future. And when you have tax increases, you tend to make the economy more sluggish. Inflation could get away from us with the amount of stimulus we're seeing and the amount of stimulus from the Federal Reserve. I mean, I've been talking about Congress, but the Federal Reserve is injecting a lot of cash into into U.S. companies. 
okay, and into the banking system. So might we see inflation in the future? As I mentioned earlier in the show, inflation is expected to, to click up just a little bit next year. I don't know. I'll have to see it to believe it in the shorter term. I'm more worried about the longer-term impact of inflation. Um, I think the Fed is going to have to come up, come out and give some real extended forward guidance of several years of keeping interest rates near zero. And the Fed typically has never done that. Uh, I don't think they've ever done that kind of forward guidance looking out three to five years, you know, maybe a year or two, but not longer than that. But they've got to create, you know, with this debt, if our interest rates and inflation, you know, if inflation starts creeping up and the Fed has to raise interest rates, you know, think of what that does with our debt payments and the interest on the debt. Then what are your tax rates going to look like in 10 or 15 years? Not in one or two years, but in 10 or 15 years. And then are there things you can be doing today to position yourself to be better equipped to deal with higher income taxes, the, the, the potential likelihood of higher income taxes in the future, 10 or 15 years. You know, in, in 2020, if you're 72 years of age or older, you do not have to take a required minimum distribution this year from your retirement accounts. So many of you, once you got into your 70s, uh, you've lost, you lost a lot of your options for tax planning if you had large retirement account balances because you're having to take those RMDs and it's fully taxable or most, if not all, is taxable income. Well, now we got a year here where you don't have to do that. So you have a potential maybe of keeping those taxes lower and positionally, and, and, and uh, excuse me, potentially repositioning money to take advantage of this one year where maybe you're going to have a lot lower taxable income. Maybe you can consider Roth conversion now before we get to next year and you have to start taking RMDs again. Or maybe you have long-term capital gains on investments or real estate and with good planning, you could maybe even get a 0% tax rate on some of those gains, if not all of them, with good, effective tax planning. So, you know, with, with what we may have 10, 15 years from now. So looking at the potential impact of inflation and the potential impact of higher tax rates 10 or 15 years from now, I think retirees and near retirees have got to have a plan to deal with these realities, all right, long-term plan. Now, that is why you need long-term money invested. Most people do. Some amount invested in the market at risk with good diversification and measurement so you don't, you're not taking too much risk, you know, more than you feel like you can afford or that you'd want to deal with. But you got to have long-term growth because we could really have some issues down the line with debt, or excuse me, with uh, inflation and taxes. And then your Social Security strategy becomes even more important. When do you claim... How do you consider spousal benefit election in that equation? What about considering widow and widower benefits? You know, people are living longer and longer lives, and if you're 88 and tax rates are a lot higher and inflation's higher, where's your Social Security income to help fill that gap? How does that all fit together? These are all such critical decisions. If you have a pension, that you're eligible to turn on. It's getting to be more the exception than the norm. But if you're going to get a pension in retirement, maybe you work for somewhere, you know, for one of the Oak Ridge contractors, and you're going to have a nice pension. How do you determine the right payouts? How do you determine spousal survivor benefits? 
How does that fold into the plan? If you're offered a lump sum in place of a pension, what should you do? Be careful that you don't just do a money grab to get all that money. Be careful you do a full analysis, a very careful analysis of that lump sum. Make sure that that is a good deal for you and that you don't take excessive risks with that money. Yeah, you've got more flexibility and control with a lump sum, but you've also got more risks, typically, with a lump sum. So be careful that you do thoughtful research on the lump sum option. So, you know, instead of just going for the money and, and passing up guaranteed income for life, which is what you get with a pension, typically. So all these things are important. Your retirement plan, is your plan a ticking tax time bomb? Or do you not have a good plan that addresses all of these things I'm talking about today. That's what you need. Now, that's what we do at our office. Um, you can also follow us online at Facebook. Uh, you can go to my website. We're constantly following my blog. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter every, when we post things. You can sign up for my weekly email, which merely provides links to content I've released for that week, the Retirement Minute that I run on this station every week, our dollars and cents segments that we run um, several weekends, several weeks a month. You can follow us online. We've got our upcoming classes coming up in August and September, and, and that's going to be exciting because we're going to, at this point, the plan is to have live classrooms, but also have the ability to attend the class virtually via video. So it's going to be really cool what we're trying to do so to get you great information about how to put these things together so you can live confidently in retirement and make smart financial decisions. Now, when we come back from our last break, we're going to talk about telehealth services that Medicare now covers, so don't go away. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 97 WOKI. for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. And I hope you are having a wonderful Saturday morning on this uh, relatively not humid weekend. It's just been absolutely gorgeous. Get outside, social distance, uh, but get outside and be active. It is so beautiful out there. I'll tell you what, and with the humidity down, it's so nice. I hope it's going to stay down all weekend. Medicare now covers telehealth. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, The Trump administration now allows Medicare to reimburse doctors for telehealth at the same rate as their office visits. So it is now covered by traditional Medicare for all Medicare beneficiaries, not just those in rural areas or approved facilities. So this can be a good option for those who want to maintain social distancing because of the coronavirus and even after the pandemic is over. So it's to motivate doctors to use telehealth 
to care for patients. So to lessen the amount of people going into traditional medical offices and hospitals during the pandemic, which is really, but you know what? This is the future. We're changing how we live. Telehealth coverage, as I said, used to be limited to these rural areas, but not anymore. Now, some Medicare Advantage plans, which, of course, is additional insurance on top of Medicare, already covered telehealth, uh, but Medicare did not. Now, you don't get any price breaks for virtual visits. So for most telehealth services, you pay the same amount as if you went in person, but it's a way to keep you protected and safe. So that's just a very nice update. I, I think one of the things that's important right now is that we don't lower our guard. And what I have found is, uh, you know, people retirement age or older in their 60s and especially in their 70s, most of the ones I've talked to are, are really continuing to take this very seriously. I think a lot of younger folks, especially people under 50, I think we need to be very cautious. I see a mixed bag out in the community. I see a lot of people, you know, just kind of out as if things are normal again. And, I, you know, I'm so glad we're kicking things back up and the economy's getting started again. But I just think we need to be careful and respect what this coronavirus is and what it could maybe do in the future. So just make wise decisions. Keep your distancing. If you're younger, you're certainly not as at risk for serious medical conditions. There is a very small risk, but not nearly as bad as if you're older or have significant medical conditions. We all know that. But I think it's very important we still use, you know, good hygiene, washing our hands all the time, social distancing, and all those things. But that telehealth is really a great move, and frankly, a move that was needed to help protect you more. Uh, and make things more convenient for everybody, even, and safer. <clears throat> now, in closing, one of the things I do want to mention today is that credit card fraud is on the rise during the coronavirus. There has been a significant increase in attempted credit and debit card fraud since the, the shutdown. And that kind of makes sense. More people are at home. There's more hackers getting out and trying to hack into systems. Most of the fraudulent attempts were caught before they hit cardholders' accounts, but the increase in attempts presents another challenger to you as a consumer and to your lenders who are struggling in this economic crisis. You know, fraud losses cost banks just under 17 million billion, excuse me, just under 17 billion dollars just last year. Banks have increased their fraud projections for 2020 because of this new data. Credit card purchases have fallen over the last two months as millions of out-of-worker borrowers have stopped making their monthly payments. A rise in fraud losses could lead to higher losses for card issuers, and then they would, of course, pass that on to us, higher costs for us. Much of the fraud has shifted to the Internet, so it's very important that you track your, your credit card transactions. Fraudsters are employing a number of tactics to get into your system. Uh, some generate random card numbers until they stumble upon a legitimate account. Some do phishing attacks, you know, where they send you an email, it looks legitimate, and you click on the link. Some do phone calls or emails to trick customers into giving them their information. And these emails and calls may claim that the cust your card number has been stolen 
and that they need to con- confirm the information to to to, to unfur- you know to unfreeze it. So if that happens and you're not sure, hang up, call the number on the back of your credit card. Then you know who you're getting. So be very careful. You need to be watching your transactions. If you get an email or a phone call asking for information, don't follow those links in the email or the phone number on the on the uh, voicemail. Instead, call the number on the back of your credit card that you know is the valid phone number, and be very very careful. If you're if you're a little unsure if your identity has been stolen, you can contact any one of the three main credit bureaus, what, what Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. You can you can notify one of them, and they will notify the other two, and you can put an alert on your account. So it's just very important we don't lower our guard and realize we are really at risk in this world. And this epidemic, this pandemic, is kind of increasing those risks for credit card fraud. You know, today we've discussed, we've discovered how to secure retirement, how to take emotions out of the equation, how to protect short-term income, how to protect long-term growth of income that you need in a world that might have a higher inflation and higher tax rates. So we've discussed how to create more wealth and more financial independence so you can have more living you can live the best years of your life your way. Thanks for tuning in this morning. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Colin. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. I hope you have a very blessed weekend as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.